Um, well, thank you uh, for being here today. We're starting our new series called The Armor of God. And if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, that is where we're going to be today, if you use your iPhone or device. Um, also, I want you to pay attention that uh, if you have the notes, uh, which hopefully most of you do, if not all of you, uh, there is an error. There was, this, it, there was an extra thing that was printed. Uh, it says the church in Ephesus working for Jesus, and it has a, a little blank. You can just scratch that out. That is an error that should not be in this note. Um, so make that correction. All right. Well, today, I want to begin by showing you a photo, and you may remember this, or you may uh, still do this. I don't know, but I'll show you the photo to you. Now, parents, beware. Do you have the photo, the image? Maybe you do. Hopefully, you do. If you don't, that's okay. We'll work on it. We'll get there in just a second, but there is an image of, uh, do you guys remember this? We'll see if we get the photo. Do you guys remember sagging? Okay, how many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Raise your hand high. Okay, where are you from? Okay, so you're from a whole different neighborhood than where I'm from. Okay, that's what you just told me. Oh, sagging. I remember those people. That's what just happened. <laughs> For the people that did sag, we're like, of course we know what sagging is. Man, I literally just realized where I grew up. How many of you guys know what sagging, like knew what sagging was before I showed it to you? Okay, that's all my people right there, you know. You remember <laughs> All right, yeah, right here, bro. I feel you. So, uh, well, anyways, um, and so I know there's some boxers there, but, but man, sagging uh, was a really popular thing in the 90s. You remember that? And so uh, I used to sag. Um, I, I know, whatever. And, uh, and so uh, and I remember in, in high school, actually, that if you were caught sagging, eventually you got, uh, you had to get, take the principal's office, and they make you pick up your pants, and you're like, nah, I ain't gonna pick up my pants, and... Anybody have a past like me like that? Anybody else gets into the principles for sagging? And then it's so funny because it changes your walk, doesn't it? You know, when you, when you sag, you should try it out. And, uh, it, but, it, you know, it's like a limp and it kind of, you know, and then you kinda, it's just a whole style, you know, it's a whole thing. Anyway, so this is sagging. And if you didn't know, now you know. And uh, <laughs> so... You say, what does this have to do with the Bible? A lot more than you think. Actually, just so you know, uh, this is kind of cool. So the background to how sagging came into style and the fashion, it's always interesting to me how things trend and how things come to fashion. And anytime things do begin to trend, I'm one of those people that begins to re research it to try to find out where that, it's just interesting to me. Uh, so this trend uh, did not come just from a hip hop culture or a skater culture. And some people believe it came from American prison, which is true, uh, but it wasn't for the reasons that some assume it is. Actually, the reason why sagging got popular was because uh, inmates in the 1960s were beginning to commit suicide inside of jails. And so one of the things that they would use was be their belts. And so what happened is, is they simply said, well, we got to remove the belts from the inmates in prison. And in prison, they often would wear clothes that were a little too much baggy or too big. And so these inmates' pants would, would sag. Well, they serve time, serve a number of years inside of a prison, get out of prison, and still have saggy pants because that's what they're used to for a number of years. Eventually, people see somebody walking on the street sagging and sagging pants with no belt on and say, oh, that looks pretty cool. We should do that. And then the trend begins. Isn't that crazy? Just pay attention to why you follow a trend. You just, the root of it might make you decide not to do it. Anyways, um, so there it is. All right. So because of that, I've titled the message, Don't Believe the Lie. Say, Don't Believe the Lie. Now, there is a subtitle to this, and that is, don't get caught with your pants down, okay? <laughs> so, 
That is the subtitle. And I, I try to convince my wife that we should, I should just title it, just don't get caught with your pants down, but we felt like we need to be whatever. I want you to remember this message for the rest of your life. So if I were you, I would title it, don't get caught with your pants down. Because then you go tell all your friends at church, you talked about how you shouldn't get caught with your pants down. Amen. You don't want to get caught with your pants down. Amen. See, right now you're thinking, this is right on that little surface. I told you last week, I kind of go right on the borderline. But you won't remember or won't hopefully forget uh, this message today. All right. So Ephesians chapter 6. This will all come together. You'll, it'll make sense, I promise. <laughs> Ephesians 6. You there? Yeah. You there? Okay. Um, all right. So before we read Ephesians 6, you can hold your place. I want to walk you through briefly Ephesians chapter 1 through 5. All right. So to understand 6, it's better to understand 5. And I want to encourage you in this series, we're going to be in this series for the next six weeks, I want you to read through the book of Ephesians. There are six chapters. You might want to do one chapter a week. You might do uh, maybe the book every week for the next six weeks and just keep rereading it and rereading it and rereading it. So I want to encourage you uh, to read through the book of Ephesians in this, all right, so that you really get the fullness of this letter that Paul's going to write in Ephesians chapter 6 at the end of his letter. All right, so let me walk you through briefly. Um, in your notes, you'll see at the very top, it says read through Ephesians chapter 1 through 5. So we're going to go through chapters 1 through 3 briefly here. I'm going to start with verse 7, chapter 1. It says, in him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. If you read through Ephesians 1, you're going to see that Paul begins his letter by reminding the Ephesians of God's grace and ultimately the gospel, the good news. And he reminds them of that. And at the end of Ephesians chapter 1, he prays for them to not uh, uh, lose steam in this and to not forget what Christ has done for them. And he goes on to say, and I hope you grow in your relationship with God. And so that's where he concludes. So chapter 1 really is a review to the church in Ephesus. Don't forget what Christ has done for you. Then in chapter 2, starts off with this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, that one line kind of joins chapter 1 and chapter 2. You have to remember when Paul wrote this, it wasn't in chapters. It was a letter in continuation. We broke it down to make it more simplified maybe and categorical. But he says, you were dead in your sins. But don't forget what Christ has done for you. And he says, in which you used to live. That's an important. If you have your Bible, you should underline that. You used to live. When you followed the ways of the world, and the ruler of all the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. All of us used to sag, in other words. Gratif That's a joke. Okay. Gratifying. We awake this morning, church? Okay. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Okay. Here's what Paul does. He introduces three enemies, and I want you to write these down in your notes, okay? Three enemies. The first one, he says, is the world. The second one is the flesh, and the third one is the devil. He says, you used to follow the way of the world. That's what it says in verse 2. He says, then there's the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient, that is to God's word. And then we used to give in to the cravings of the flesh. We used to live this way. We used to follow the ways of the world. We used to allow the enemy or Satan or the spirit that was at work in us to control us. And then he goes on to say, and we used to kind of go after the things of the flesh. Now, all of these are supported through scripture. If you want to see those scriptures up on the, it says 1 John 2, 15, Galatians 5, 
And then it says the devil. Now the devil, of course, is the accuser, the adversary. He's also called tempter, liar, the God of this age, Revelations 12, 7 through 11, Matthew 4, John 8, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And so he goes in and says, don't forget there's an enemy. That's what I want you to see. Chapter 1, the gospel. Chapter 2, don't forget there's some enemies. And it's not just the devil. It's the world you live in. It's your fleshly desires. All right. Then verse 4, he reminds him of the gospel once more because this is really the heart of his letter. He says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we're dead in transgressions. And now this is a huge verse. It is by grace you have been saved. And this verse, that verse right there, uh, is an important verse for us to understand. It's by grace you've been saved. This has been debated. This changes theologies. This changes denominations for people. It is by grace that you have been saved. In other words, Paul is saying, just remember, as I'm about to unpack, which he's about to unpack, but he sets the, the, the thing that I want you to hold on to today. It is ultimately by grace that you've been saved, not by your efforts or by your works. So you don't get to heaven by how good you are, no matter how good you are, no matter how you live, that does not get you to heaven. All falls short. Don't forget what Christ has done for you. It is by your, the grace of God alone that you have been saved. Then Paul is wanting them to grasp something about this love. And when you think about that, that even when you gave your life to Christ and yet you fall away or you do something that you maybe shouldn't do and you go backwards, I want you to anchor into this. You're still saved by grace. You don't lose salvation when you engage in a sin. No, you don't lose it. You've been saved. It's done. The work was finished by his grace. And that should actually encourage you to keep pushing towards faith and in faith in Christ. That's what Paul is addressing. And Paul then further supports this, and he goes on in the letter into Ephesians chapter 3, and he says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the, your inner being. There's your soul. There's your mind. He says, in your, this soul inside of you. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ is going to live inside of you. And I pray that you, being rooted in love and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. Now, this is an anchor. I want you to anchor into this today. Think about Paul writing to his church in Ephesus, and he's saying, hey, you gave your life to Christ. Remember what Christ did for you? And he reminds them to consider this then. Grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. When you consider the fact that no matter where you are today, that, you're, that if you've uh, professed Christ as your Savior and you put your confidence and trust in Him, that even when you fall away, His mercy, His kindness, His goodness is still there. And it says, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How could this be? How could this God love me that much that even when I turn away, He still says, I love you? That's the whole point. That you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. And then this famous passage that people like to kind of clip out but it's in the context of this, he says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Of course, this is greater than we can ask or imagine. How is it that this God would love us that much that even when we do turn away, he still says, I love you, you're still my son, you're still my daughter. And he could do immeasurable things. He can do more than we can think or imagine, he says. 
He's at work within our hearts now. Why? Because Christ is at work within us. To him be the glory in church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now that amen ends chapter 3. Because I'm about to make a shift, Paul is saying. There's going to be a change. So chapters 1 through 3 is about the gospel, understanding, and reminding you of how much God loves you. Amen? It would be no different than if I got up here and repeated the same teaching I gave you last Sunday, just seven days ago. When I got up here and over 200 people filled this room and heard the gospel and saw a cross go up and those sins are nailed to the cross. If I got up here and gave you the same spiel, this is exactly what Paul is doing. And I'm telling you, don't forget last Sunday. And for, and for many people who went to churches all around to celebrate Christ on Easter, have forgotten already. It happens. What Christ did. And Paul says, never forget that. Don't forget this display of this man, Jesus, who went to a cross and said, I'm doing this for you. Whether you believe me or not, I love you. Now, Jesus said that. And the man, Jesus, died for you. And he loves you. This is Paul's message to the church in Ephesus in the first two, three chapters. And then he's going to make a shift. And he makes this shift and he starts it with verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, here's what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord. Now, he's in jail. He's in prison at this moment that he's writing this, and he's chained to a Roman guard or a Roman soldier. So we think. But he's in a prison for sure. And he says, I urge you now to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Now, the word live is the Greek word that means to walk. And I, I, I like the translation to walk because it makes me think about slowing it down. Not just the way that I live, but the way that I walk. Okay? I want you to think about the way you walk now. Think about the daily walk in your life. Think about the daily conversations you have. By the way you live is a broader way the day you walk. They would have seen this as when I get up out of bed or when I get up from sleep, the moment I start walking is the moment I start need to be living and considering what the Lord has done for me. Okay? He says, live your life worthy of a calling. The word calling we use that word a lot in ministry. Hey, you're called, you're called, you're called, you're called. Let me tell you what he's saying here. It's the word invitation. He's saying, don't forget the invitation that Christ made you, that Christ extended to you, to embrace the cross, to embrace what he's done for you. He's made an invitation for you to follow him. And now, the word worthy, is, it has a carry, you have to think about this as an idea behind it of matching up. Matching up, what do I mean by that? That your actions should match your words. You're going to live your life worthy of your calling. So what is he saying? He's saying, I want you to live a life worthy. I, I want you to walk daily according to the invitation that you've received and do it in such a way that what you have professed now lines up with your actions. And some of you are thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa you tricked me there. I thought I could just receive the cross and the grace of Jesus Christ and then move on with my life. No, 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 no. Actually, Paul says, if you actually believe what I told you last Sunday, that Christ died on the cross and how much he loves you, then my question to you becomes, how could you not live for him? How could you not trust him? Right? That is to place your trust and your confidence in him, that everything he says is good for your life. 
Okay, so Paul addresses this. Live a life worthy of your calling. Here's Paul's point. You can write this in your notes. Now that you follow Christ, live like it. Okay, now do not feel beat up. That is not preaching hellfire brimstone against you. Live like it and mad at you. You cannot hear it that way. Instead, Paul says, I'm urging you to do something. And he's about to tell them why. Now, I'm urging you today, hear it from me, hear it from Paul to the church in Ephesus, hear it, maybe even from the Lord if you would. Now, live like it. Live like you know I love you. Let me say it that way. Live like you know I know what's best for you. Live like you trust me. Now live it out. That's his point. Live in a way that proves you belong to Christ. And he continues to encourage them. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. He's going to talk about what to put on in a minute, but first you've got to put off something. He says, you've got to put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not, this is what I want to anchor into, do not give the devil a foothold. Okay, that is said so many times. Don't give the devil a foothold. Let me unpack that for you. The word foothold is this Greek word tapos, T-O-P-O-S, okay? And it means, metaphorically speaking, here's what it means, opportunity. Now, when you think about giving the devil a foothold, some of you are like, how does that, I want you to hear this. It means, don't give, watch this, the devil, the opportunity. Don't even let the devil have an opportunity to take back what God has placed in you last Sunday. Do you hear that? Don't don't let the devil come in and snatch away what God is trying to do in your life right now. Don't give him the opportunity. Don't give him the foothold. Don't do it. That's his point. We're not supposed to give the devil an opportunity to influence our life. He should not have any place in our lives because he's an enemy of God and ultimately he wants to destroy you. Don't give Satan one place in your life. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. As Satan, think about this, bitterness. You get bitter about something. What Paul is saying is, don't you give him that opportunity. Because if you allow that bitterness to sit inside of you, eventually it'll manifest itself through greed, selfishness, pride, and all kinds of sins. So don't let bitterness get in there. Don't let the enemy tempt you with bitterness. Don't let the enemy tempt you with lying. Don't let the enemy tempt you with jealousy. Don't let the enemy tempt you with envy. You hear it? He said, don't let him tempt you. Don't, don't give him the opportunity. That's his message to this church in Ephesus. Don't give Satan one place in your life. Now, a couple things I want you to know about Satan. According to John, Revelation 12, 4, Satan was cast out of heaven with a third of his angels. Number two, I want you to know this about Satan. Not all, he's not all-knowing, okay? He is not God. He is limited in knowledge. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-powerful, but he does wage war against us. I want you to hear that, okay? According to Paul, 
through these dark forces. Now, here's what I want you to understand. In Daniel 10, 13 through 20, you can go read that later. I don't have time to unpack that. Daniel 10, 13 through 20, if you need to write that down. Daniel 10, 13 through 20. Satan is, I will say, well, how can I say this? Satan, we like to blame him, but it's not Satan often that's doing the work and of himself because he can't be everywhere. He's not omnipresent. He's not God. Does that make sense? So we like to blame Satan. Satan, Satan's doing it. It's really not Satan doing it as much and often as really it is his demons. The spiritual forces in this dark world. Listen to me. Okay? If Satan... Is, uh, is, is omnipresent, then, then he becomes God. He's, he's everywhere at all times. He's not. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. So what happens? I want you to think about a, a, a commander who is a created being. Satan is a created being, okay? Now, in the spiritual realm, he is there, and he sends out his demons, his angels, in the spirit realm, not in the physical realm, but in the spirit realm, that can infiltrate people, by the way. And so, so this spirit, Satan, if you would, sends out his demons around the world and those demons report back into what's happening within the world so they can devise a scheme to destroy your life. This is what Paul is about to introduce and I'll get that in just, just a minute. So Satan, just, just understand he's not all powerful. That's what I really wanted you to know. And that he uses these demons to destroy our lives. Okay. And you can see this very clear spiritual warfare in Daniel 10, 13 through 20, where angels go to battle based on prayer. Okay, I'll let you read that. I won't get caught up in that. And Paul's letter to Corinthians, Paul calls the devil an angel of light. I think it's 2 Corinthians 11, if I'm not mistaken. Go, go search that, 2 Corinthians 11. He calls him an angel of light. Which means, I want you to think about this, Satan or his demonic forces can transform themselves into whatever form is best suited to deceive you or trick you in getting you to not do what God says to do. Now, I know some of you are going to be mad at me here, but I go hunting. I know, I know. I, I, have, I have shot an animal. I'm sorry. Multiple. <laughs> And they were just eating. I know, I know. They were being just, they weren't bothering me. And, and, but I did. <laughs> now, I do eat the meat, by the way, and I give it away to people. And so, but, yeah, it makes it okay. All right. I know. Okay. Here's my point of that. When somebody goes hunting, Okay, they don't want the animal to see them, so they hide. They remain as quiet as they can. You don't move. You stay as quiet as possible. Get all camouflaged up, and you sit quietly, or you move very, very, very slowly. You cannot find deer. You cannot go hunting and on the run in a rush, fully exposed to be seen. I want you to know something. Satan works the same way, slowly, and does not want you to notice him and does not want you to see him. That's what I want you to understand out of that. One pastor said, if you see demonic, to see the demonic evidence in your life, okay, just look in the rearview mirror of your life. Here's what that means. I want you to think about, now for some of you this is true, this week, you give your life to the Lord and you say, God, I want to live for you. 
And then literally on Monday, something comes that begins to try to destroy your faith. The moment you begin to give to the Lord financially, to trust him in your finances, something takes a hit in your finances. Your faith gets tested. Your faith gets challenged. Think about how that wrong person came into your life at the perfect time. Think about that. How many people have come through your life at a time in your life that you were needy and the wrong person came in to fill a void and you look back and you think, man, that person entered my life when I was most needy, but it was the wrong person. Now, you just think about this, how your struggle began, your, your, your struggle began financially the moment you began to take stride. Marriage is soaring and something else takes a hit in your faith or in your walk and your relationship. The moment your marriage begins to thrive, your financial situation begins to die. The moment you begin to pursue Jesus, something happens to you that gets you to question Jesus. Just think about that, all right? This is not, not intentional. Satan could care less whether or not you believe in him. Because he's not after your recognition. He's after your destruction. Satan does not need you to worship him. He just needs to make sure that you don't worship God. Think about how many people, um, seriously, most people don't worship Satan. But that's not what's winning the battle in Satan's eyes. He's not trying to gain followers. He's just trying to prevent people from following Christ. He doesn't care what they follow as long as they don't follow Christ. C.S. Lewis said, when it comes to demonic, people usually fall into one of two errors. Either they take him altogether too seriously or they do not take him seriously enough. And I absolutely agree with that statement. I have seen this in many of our, my circle of ministry and church. Some blame him for every inconvenient circumstance. Satan is attacking me again. How? Well, I got fired because I'm late again. Have you ever heard somebody blame Satan for firing him? Why'd you get fired? Well, I was late for the 19th time and they fired me, Satan. Dude, it's not Satan, man. You got gas all built up in your stomach. Oh, Satan causing physical pains. What'd you just have for lunch? 19 enchiladas and four tacos. It's not Satan, bro. Just cut out the enchiladas, you'll be fine. You can't blame Satan for everything. Well, Satan brought this person in my life. You chose him at the bar. You blame Satan when you wake up sick. What'd you do last night? Drank too much. I mean, I'm telling you, I've heard people blame Satan for so many things. We're broke. Watch this. Now, this is going to anchor in, but let it sink in for a minute. We're broke. Man, we could never get ahead financially. Satan. Do you tithe? No. Not Satan. Just disobedience. And some of you right now, when I say the word tithe, you're going to fight. Do you know what the fight is? Satan. 
Demonic forces coming to strip you of God's blessing on your life. And the thoughts go in. This man just wants my money. This, 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 they just want money. They just want money. So they just care about money, 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 money. No, it's what I want for you. It's what God wants for you. Trust him. And right now, you're gonna see this. There's a wrestling when we talk about money in church. It's a wrestle. Which Paul is going to address. I know, it's a wrestle. I get it. There's a wrestle there, isn't there? Yep. And so many other things like it. All right, let's jump in. This is not a tithing message, but it's a piece of it because I want you to see this, how the wrestle happens. And so with that, all is the backdrop because uh, chapters four through six, by the way, one through three, all about the gospel. Chapters four through six, here's how you should live your life. And he talks about all kinds of ways we should live, including marriage, including parenting, including how children should behave, all kinds of stuff. In chapter five, you can go read it. So he talks about how we should conduct and live our lives even into chapter six. And then he's gonna conclude chapter six with what we recognize as this armor of God. And here's how he says it. So I want you to take off all that stuff and I want you to put on this. Here's what he says, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Okay? There will be a day, by the way, that demons attack you and tempt you, and exercise the authority to lure you away from God's plan for your life. The devil's schemes, verse 12, for our struggle, there's the wrestling match, by the way. That word struggle describes a literal wrestling match. He says, you are in a wrestling match. He's trying to remind them, educate them. You're in a wrestling match, but you're not fighting flesh and blood. He says, you're fighting, you're wrestling against rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world. Now, this is the key against spiritual forces of evil. This is a spiritual battle. It's not in the physical. And he says, in the heavenly realms. We just sing a whole song about champion about heavenly realms and heavenly places. Heavenly realms is spiritual realms, a realm in which you cannot see. It's a spiritual realm. And then he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. That therefore is very important so that when the day of evil comes, circle so that, so that when the day of evil comes, we'll talk about that, when you may, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand, okay? The word put on means seek into or clothe yourself. It's a word for clothing. Seek into it. Why? So you can stand against the devil's schemes. Devil's schemes, cunning arts or trickery. His different ways of going about trying to destroy your life. So the problem, Paul says, that we're facing is a spiritual issue. It's not a physical issue. But the reason for the physical struggle is what's first happening in the spiritual realm. So everything that happens in the physical is preceded by what's happened in the spiritual. So when you receive something in the physical issue, you got to look into the spiritual issue to tap in to get to the root of the problem. Let me address that for you. Watch this. Okay. I'm going to use counseling as an exception, and I'll use, uh, I'll use depression because it's a very common thing that people can battle or deal with, okay? People uh, get depressed. Yeah, that happens in our world. It happens. People battle depression. Okay. And so, in a normal, physical world setting, we say, man, you need to get some help. And, and they do. And so, we, sell, we send them to Who? 
Come on. Counselors, right? Psychologists. And for some, they might give them prescription drugs. Everybody agree? All right, this happens. I'm not here to tell you something's wrong with that. I'm here to tell you that's what we understand in our culture. So we have a physical problem. I'm depressed. This kind of internal thing and body is numb or panic attacks or whatever it may be. So I go to solve the problem in a physical way. What Paul is saying is, I'm not negating that you may need to do that. But what I'm reminding you of is there is a spiritual component to this that you need to address. Because what happens to you in the physical that got you all bound up in worry and depression and sadness started in the spiritual. And if you don't get to the root of the problem, you'll be just trying to like chop up this tree and it'll never come down. So you need to attack this in the spiritual, not saying that we don't also approach it from the physical, but we need to acknowledge the spiritual. And that's what Paul is trying to let them know. When this battle of life comes your way, don't forget about the spiritual. That's his point. In other words, when Satan comes knocking on your door, you say, what's the day of evil? Did you see that? He says, the evil day. What's the day of evil? That's the day Satan comes knocking on your door. All hell breaks loose on you, we say. And he says, stand firm. It means don't be moved. Don't be shaken in your faith. Don't give up your faith when that day comes. And then he says, here's the first thing I want you to put on. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. We're going to stop there with that one piece of armor, the belt of truth. Why does Paul say this is the first thing you need to put on? You need to be reminded of. Because everything hangs on the belt. The belt holds everything together. It holds your pants up. Hence, don't get caught with your pants down. Okay? Yeah. You've got to allow that belt to do its work. Now, in the army soldier person, right? You ever heard the phrase, gird up your loins? Men, I told my wife, she's like, never heard that. She's like, I heard it, but I don't know what it is. So gird up your loins in context would be when soldiers would go into battle, they would have long clothing, and when they're about to run, they take off running. They'd have to pick up their robes, tuck it into their belt, and it was a way of saying, gird up your loins. Belt it up, tuck it in. We're about to enter a fight. If I said, roll your sleeves up, let's go. All of a sudden, you begin to think about getting involved in action. There's other phrases, I'm sure, that we have in our culture that gets you ready for a fight. This is what Paul is saying. Put on. Gird up. Get ready. Tuck in the clothing into your belt. There's about to be a fight. That's his whole point here. I want you to picture that in your mind. And he says, don't go into battle with your pants down. Because, seriously... If they had taken off running without first tucking in their clothing in their belt, what would happen when they take off running? They're going to trip and fall. And no man wants to run into battle with his pants down. So, tuck it up. Get ready. There's a war that we're entering. This is Paul's point. And he says, you need to know, this we're going to camp into, truth. And that provides a question to us, what is truth? For some, it's based on popular belief. That's what truth is for some of you. It's current views, whatever the crowd is saying. Do you ever notice that the world shifts truth very frequently? Okay, the easiest thing that comes to my mind right now 
is the whole Pluto thing. When you did your science project, for most of us, we had these planets, and Pluto was one of them. Then all of a sudden, no, it ain't. It's, no, it ain't. No, it isn't, you know. Um, truth changes in our world all the time. Here's the phrase. What's true today is rarely true tomorrow. Truth changes in our world. So how in the world can the world provide you truth if it's always changing? But for some of you, hey, if it's on Google, popular belief, it's true. Don't forget, a man's not guilty. The Bible says, hear both sides to the story. You got to hear the whole thing. But we go with truth so fast, so quickly. We just follow all the time. Popular belief. Okay. For some, truth is defined as what feels right. If it feels good to me, must be true. If it's true to me, it's got to be true. Can I just tell you something? Just because you believe it's true doesn't make it true. You know how I know that? Some of you believe anchovies is good on pizza. I'm still surprised by this. But if I sat with you, I said, is it true that anchovies are good on pizza? You say, yes, it is. And I would say, no, it isn't. So just because you believe it's true doesn't make it true. You hear me? It's not on your beliefs. Just because you believe it doesn't make it true. For some, it's what science proves. It's strong theories, enough evidence. I heard a guy wrote, really smart guy, people that just way smarter than me just in regards to you know, their knowledge and words that are just, I'm like, what did he say? I break that one down. Um, and, and this guy ends up talking about truth from a scientific perspective and he, he goes through this whole thing and then at the very end he goes, so I've concluded my point. He said, what is it? He goes, and I can't repeat what he said, but basically he said, because I can't use the word in church that I don't, even, I don't even use this word in life, but he says, basically, we're all, what word can I find for this? We're all, mm, well, I don't, I don't have no word, okay. But we're all hopeless. That would be the right way of saying it. Anyways. For some of you, it's science. It's strong theories. It's proof. For other people, truth comes from men. Think about all the men. Buddha, Joseph Smith, Muhammad. Truth comes from a variety of places that people believe. And, and, and everybody follows truth to some degree. Okay? That they, that's where they find their truth from. I'm not saying that's true. What I'm saying is this is where people find their truth. People knew, and he wanted to remind Ephesians, when the day of evil comes, remember the truth. What's truth? According to Jesus, there's only one truth, his truth. And I'm just telling you what Jesus said. And you can determine whether or not you think what Jesus said is true. But don't forget, he's writing to a group of believers who said, Jesus died for me and he loves me. And now he's saying, don't forget what Jesus says is true. Here's what Jesus said, and Paul knew Jesus said, but Paul was aware of that Jesus said this about truth. Jesus said, I'm the way and I am the truth. And the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Three key truths about truth I want to give you here. Number one, truth is more about a who than a what. Truth is not a what. Truth is a who. It's a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus said, I am truth. If you want to know what true is, look at me. I am truth. In other words, if it ain't me, it's not 
true. If it's not from me, it's not true. There could only be one truth, which takes us to the next one. Truth does not change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So truth can't change. If truth can change, there's no truth. There's only whatever's true right now. But God has always been. That's why he's the only thing that is actually true. Because he always has been and always will be. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth does not change. Listen, if you have your truth and I have my truth, then there's no truth. So you can't have your truth and my truth. That's why you can't pick the part of the Bible and say, I want this one and I want that one, but I don't want that one. Liar. Because then you have no truth. There's only one truth. And his name is Jesus. In other words, everything I say Jesus is saying is true. Everything I speak is true. There is truth. There's God's truth. And God's truth is the only thing that's actually true. This is Paul's point. Truth leads us to true freedom. Truth leads us to true freedom. 31 says, John 8, to the Jews who had believed him, which is interesting. He's writing to people who believed him. (laughs) The audience is not people who don't believe in him. The audience is people who believe him. And then he says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. How will you know the truth? What does the text say? No, yeah, what does it say? It says, If you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth. So how do you know what truth is? Hold to his teachings, hold to his word. You want to know what truth is? Look into my word, that's truth. So when the day of evil comes and Satan, who by the way, Jesus calls the father of lies, the great deceiver, comes in to try to destroy your life, you're going to know what truth is. How are you going to know what truth is? Look into my teachings. Because that will lead you to truth. And my truth sets you free every time. Free from what? Free from what? Think about this. Watch this. Free from the grasps of hell on your life. Free. And he's talking to believers. So watch this now. He's talking to believers about being in freedom. That means you can have a believer in Christ who's not free. Because they're still in the wrestling match. But he says, I want you to break away from the wrestling match. And I want you to find freedom. How? Through truth. So gird up your loins. Get ready for the fight and pick up truth. Well, how do I know what truth is? Look into God's word. Pick up the Holy Bible, which is perfect and complete and lacks nothing and is good for teaching and rebuking and correcting and encouraging. This is truth. So I need to make a financial decision. Go to truth. When I'm looking for who to marry, go to truth. When I'm looking for how to parent, go to truth. When I'm looking for uh, the right professor, uh, uh, career path, go to truth. He'll, he'll show you. Follow the truth, the word of God who was made flesh, Jesus Christ and his body. And the truth, he says, will set you free. That's why I titled the message, and I'll close out with this, Don't Believe the Lie. Don't believe the lie. What is a lie? You don't need to continue to go to church to grow in your relationship with God. Liar. 
What does the Word of God say about that? Gather together, encourage each other, sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs, encouraging one another in the body of Christ. You don't need to give to the church, to the body of Christ. Liar. What does the Word of God say? Test me in this way. Give generously to those who are in need. I'm, I'm not worthy. Liar. What does the Word of God say? I died for you and I loved you. I paid a price for you. That means you matter to me. My gift doesn't really matter to the church. They can do fine without me. Liar. What does the Word of God say? You are gifted and equipped to carry out the work of Christ in your life. Well, God can't do anything with my life. Liar. I have good plans for you to give you hope in the future. Think about all the lies that we buy into. And Paul's whole point is, don't believe the lie. Don't get caught with your pants down. What lie are you believing? I don't need to give up that drink. I don't need to give up that drug. I can do this with this and that. I can do this with this and that. I really don't have to do that. I really don't have to do that. And all of a sudden, it becomes a wrestling match, doesn't it? It becomes negotiation. It's exactly what happened when Satan showed up in Adam and Eve. Did God really say? What did, what did he do? Got him to question this. Did God really say? Did God really say? The most important thing you can do, church, is pick up the truth. Truth. And know the truth. And when you study the teachings of Jesus, he comes to promise freedom. So what lie are you beginning to believe already? Here's what I want you to know today. Don't ever fall for this lie. Jesus Christ doesn't love you. Don't ever let that lie sink in. Never. Don't give him the opportunity. And whenever that opportunity, the devil begins to try to convince you that you can't do this or you're not able, you just remember Ephesians 3.20, I am able, I am able. God can do more in me than anything I could ever think or imagine. God loves me. He paid a price for me. I'm not going to sit there and believe the lie. God has a good plan for me. God's way is better for me. I'm going to trust God in this area of my life. I'm going to trust God in my marriage. I'm going to trust God in my finances. I'm going to trust him and trust him and trust him because he died for me and he loves me. And all of a sudden, you're tucking in the truth and you start winning the war and you experience freedom from the grasp of Satan in your life. All right, let's pray. Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us understand. So Jesus, we love you. And right now, Father, I know that there's some in here, some watching online maybe, that uh, have been believing a lie. The lie can get really simple. You're ugly. Physically, you're ugly. You see other people in bathing suits and you think I'm ugly. I want you to call him right now what he is. He's a liar. Well, how do I know that? Because I go to the truth. What does the truth say? Remember, the truth is Jesus. Jesus would never call you ugly. He made you just the way you are. 
for you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You don't need him. You don't need Jesus really to be first in your life. Liar. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. Don't believe the lie. Jesus Christ needs to be first in every area of your life. You don't have to really give up, fill in the blank, hanging out with those people. I mean, <laughs> you can hang out with those people not and still be a Christian. Like, you, you can still go to the place and still be a, follow Jesus. I mean, you, you don't have to do that and give up that. It's whatever. I want you to think about this. For some of you, it's give up. I want you to call him a liar. And then say, those who lose their life for my sake find it. And I surrender everything over to the Lord. And I trust him. And I'm not even going to give the devil an opportunity to get a hold of this area in my life. I'm done with the lies. You just speak it in. I'm done believing the lie. Don't believe the lie. What's the lie? I'll never make it through this. I'll never get over that. I'll never get healthy. I'll never get this. I'll don't believe the lie. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I believe right now there's freedom happening in your life because you're beginning to consider the lie that you've been living and some of you have been living in a lie for something like the lie has gripped you your whole life you'll never ever get to that goal you want to achieve liar life surrendered to Christ God can see me through anything don't believe the lie put on the belt of truth Father we love you we thank you and today, if you want to give your life to Christ and surrender your life to Jesus, it's really simple. You just say, Jesus, I want to give you my life today. And I thank you for dying for me. And then the best thing you can do is fill out the card on your seat. Sit, go to Brave Central, talk to somebody here afterwards. We'll have some altar team up front. And altar team can come forward and you can pray with somebody after service and make a decision to follow Christ. And just say, I want to follow Jesus today. If that's you, tell him, Jesus, I want to give you my life today. It's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. In Jesus' name, amen.